Good morning again. <laughs> Happy Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day, but this is His day in a special way, right? We're gathered together as believers to worship Him and praise Him. And as I already said, Pastor Kendall and Emily had a baby, which is awesome. And that is, once again, I'm able to help out today, so I'm grateful for that. Last time that I preached, we went through Hebrews chapter 1. So today we're going to do Hebrews chapter 2. Just a quick review from what we saw in Hebrews chapter 1. What we read, Hebrews chapter 1 was about how Christ, how God has spoken to us in these last days through Christ. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, and we need nothing else but Christ and the gospel. Jesus has been appointed and chosen by the Father to save us, and we also saw how Jesus is supreme over all creation as Creator, and He is above all, and He is above the angels. And now, we're going to see in chapter 2 that He's below the angels in the sense of His humanity, not obviously his deity. Would you pray with me one more time before we dive into the Word of God? Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us this true, holy, written revelation that it guides us to salvation, it points us to Christ. The only way to faith is through your Word, Lord. And God, we ask that you would do what only you can do today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to better understand what you have written. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you can turn with your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to go through it in sections. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That is all of Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to go back to the beginning. There's a lot in there, and it's, it's, it's going to be really good, so Hebrews Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, 2, 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And what have we heard? You know, we've heard the gospel. We've heard, we talked about this last time a little bit because we jumped into the beginning of chapter 2. We talked about how we've heard the gospel. We've heard the written revelation that God has given us. We've heard the message of Christ, because in these last days, God has spoken to us by Christ. And we need to pay attention to that, lest we drift away. And I want to read, we're going to hear a lot from Matthew Henry today. Um, his commentary is, is really good. I'd encourage you to look at it someday, if you can. But um, this is what he says, just on verse 1. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more diligent heed to the things which we have heard. This is the first way by which we are to show our esteem of Christ and of the gospel. It is the great concern of everyone under the gospel to give the most earnest heed to all gospel discoveries and directions. I love how he use the word discoveries, gospel discoveries, like as if we're learning new things or as if there's maybe new revelation, but we know that's not true. But what we do believe as Christians is that God, by His Spirit, can open our eyes to better understand what He's already written and what He's already revealed. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, I think everyone on planet Earth would admit that we have not mastered this book. We haven't mastered the written revelation of God. Have we understood every piece that's been written? Can we explain the whole thing? Can we memorize the whole thing? I mean, even if you could memorize the whole thing, we couldn't 100% comprehend all that God has done. And so it's our job as Christians to, to focus on this. And he expounds even more. The discoveries of the gospel What's written in the scriptures, we should prize them highly. 
as matters of the greatest importance, to hearken to them diligently in all opportunities, to read them frequently, to meditate on them closely, and to mix faith with them. We must embrace them in our hearts and affections, retain them in our memories, and finally regulate our words and our actions according to them. Finally, we should live what the Bible teaches us to live. We should regulate our lives, our actions, according to what's written in Scripture. Nothing else. It's actually really simple. It's profound yet simple. Um, Follow the Scriptures, you know. It's our job as Christians. This is uh, verse 2. 2-2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. This message that he's talking about that was declared by the angels is the old covenant, the law. God used angels to bring that many times in the Old Testament. You can see that. And it says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So, John MacArthur is also one of my favorite preachers, but what what John MacArthur has to say on this verse is, if disobedience to the old covenant of law brought swift judgment, how much more severe will be the judgment of disobedience to the new covenant gospel of salvation, which was mediated by the Son, who is superior to the angels? Like, this new covenant is brought forth by an even greater person, Christ. He's greater than the angels that the old covenant was brought through. And this is what we need to be careful to pay attention to. It was declared at first, verse 3 still, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I really like this verse 4 where it talks about how God bore witness, bore witness to his own message, bore witness to his own gospel by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that just, that sounds pretty like supernatural because it is. Miracles are supernatural, signs, wonders, gifts of the Spirit. There's many people in our day who like think we should be seeing this stuff like constantly. But it's interesting, it says that all of this was distributed according to the will of God. I love how we see that, how God is sovereign over all of these things. John MacArthur said on this verse, the supernatural powers demonstrated by Jesus and by his apostles were the Father's divine confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the amazing miracles that the apostles did, that Christ did, was confirmation of the message that was being proclaimed. The message is the most important thing, not the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And they were distributed according to His will. We can't muster up a miracle. (laughs) We can't get enough people in a room to pray to see a sign or a wonder. And I would argue that we're not even commanded to do that, but 
Something else is interesting if we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you do go to Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the, the gifts of the Spirit, it says at the end of chapter 12 that even the spiritual gifts are distributed according to the will of God. Like, He is sovereign over the working of His Spirit. And we have to remember how highly we view the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is God. It's not a feeling. It's not... We can't manipulate the Spirit of God. There are many people who think they can manipulate the Spirit of God, but it's, it's, the reality is, is you can't. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot manipulate His Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is just as holy as the Father and just as holy as the Son, and we should revere God and revere His Spirit. So we won't go any further into that, but I, we, we had to. That was a big one for me. We're going to move on to our next section. Verse 5. I guess one more thing on the last section. It is incredible. We should look at the scriptures, and when we see the miracles and the signs of wonders, we really should be in awe. I don't want to downplay them. They really are incredible, and they're miraculous, and obviously every person would want to be there. I mean, I wish I was there when, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea, but I just, God's not calling me to part the Red Sea. Christ has done the ultimate miracle of salvation. Salvation is far greater than anything we could ever ask or think, so... Verse 5, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. This is talking about Christ, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Now, how was he made lower than the angels? We believe that Christ was made lower than the angels by his incarnation. He became and we're going to see this further on in the chapter, how he became flesh. Because we also believe that Christ is greater than the angels because he's God. So we need to be careful how we look at this. And this is going to be a big part of today's sermon is we just need to be careful how we see Christ in his humanity and Christ in his divinity. So let's continue. Well, okay, yeah. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is going to be a big, the, probably the main focus for the rest of today's sermon is, is the suffering of Christ. He suffered in his death and he suffered for us. 
Let's continue. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's talking about us, we are the children of God, and we, you know, we share in flesh and blood because we are humans, we have flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. Christ partook of flesh and blood. He became a man that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Christ couldn't have died if he didn't become a man, you know. So he had to become a man so he could die to pay the price for our sins. Christ is able to help us because he himself has suffered. He suffered according to his human nature. He suffered just like a man because he is fully man and fully God. It's crazy to think he was capable of escaping this suffering because he's God. I mean, he could have done anything he wanted, but he didn't. He suffered for us fully as a man, and that's exactly what we needed not only what we needed, but the only thing that could save us was a man in our place. But not just a man, because he's the God-man. He was a perfect God-man in our place who was born under the law, fulfilled it perfectly, and suffered perfectly. Something that we could never do. Something that we most definitely could never do. Psalm 49, verse 7 through 9, you don't have to go there, but I love what it says. It says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. I can't give my life for Daryl as badly as I may want to. Daryl, I'll lay down my life for you, but it's not going to save his soul. <laughs> I think it's interesting how the scriptures say you can't lay down your life for another but, but that's what Christ did but it's because Christ is greater than us he is the God man his life is special because he is perfect and he's God and he's the ultimate sacrifice now let's talk about Christ and his suffering it begs the question did he really have to suffer if Christ really had to suffer, then it begs the question, why? Why did Christ really have to suffer for me? If it wasn't a real suffering, then there'd be no real redemption. It's always been hard to comprehend how God could suffer. But we know that God cannot suffer. But Jesus, fully God and fully man, did suffer according to his human nature. And me and Kendall were talking about this this past week or two as I was preparing. And he sent me a video and the thing the guy said in the video was so good. He said, we need to be careful that we don't wash the humanity of Christ back onto the deity of Christ. I mean, Jesus, I would imagine, at some point in his life, stubbed his toe. Like, can God stub his toe? I mean, we would say God is spirit and doesn't have toes. But we know Christ did in his human nature. And he suffered according to his human nature. And it's hard to comprehend we confess it, we preach it, we talk about it, we see it in scripture, and like even preparing for this message, I'm trying to comprehend in my own mind, like it's so hard to understand. How did Christ, 
go through this. It's, it's hard to comprehend, but we know deep inside that it's the only way that we could be saved, and we, we needed him to do that for us. What a great Savior we have. I love how all of Scripture ties together so perfectly, and you hear the same things in other parts of Scripture. So let's go to Philippians. You don't have to turn there if you want to, but if you want to, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. It goes right along with the suffering of Christ. It goes right along with His humanity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. Yeah, let's pause. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What do you mean? Is is he not equal to God? Of course he's equal to God. Jesus is God. He even said he was God when he was here on earth. His own testimony said he was God, and then they wanted to stone him. And then his own stoners confessed. Why they're stoning him is because he's confessing he's God. Like, there's no argument to that. He didn't count equality with God according to his human nature because his human nature was different. It was human. I mean, that's, we're not going to go any further. It was human. (laughs) And then, I mean, it says it right here in Philippians. A thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. So he he was human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I've been trying to comprehend the suffering of Christ this week because that's in the sermon and it's in the notes and it's in the text that I'm supposed to deliver today. It's so hard to comprehend how Christ truly died. He really died. It's so hard to comprehend. Verse 14, since therefore, we're back in Hebrews, sorry, back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You're going to like this next one. (laughs) What Matthew Henry had to say about this death stuff. Let me me find it. Uh Sorry. I'm wondering if I skipped it. So, Matthew Henry's notes on the death of Christ. Christ became man and died to deliver them from those perplexities of soul by letting them know that death is not only a conquered enemy, but a reconciled friend. Death is the friend of the Christian. 
Man, I'm just saying there's groups out there that would slap you in the face for saying that. They would say that is so anti-biblical that death is the friend of the Christian because God wants us to be happy and wholesome and live forever and be healthy and never have problems and never suffer. Like, But death for the Christian is our reconciled friend. And I love commentaries because they just go on and on and on and on and they just expound. Like, how do you think of all this stuff? It's not sent to hurt the soul or to separate it from the love of God. Death doesn't hurt our soul, and it doesn't separate us from the love of God because we know our soul's not going to die, and the devil can't kill us. Nope. But to put an end to all their grievances and complaints. <laughs> when we're dead, we're not going to have anything to grieve about or complain about. But death is going to give us a safe passage into eternal life. So that, to us, <sighs> death is not longer in the hand of Satan, but death is in the hand of Christ. It's not Satan's servant, but it's Christ's servant. This is good. It has not hell following it, but has heaven to all who are in Christ. That's, that's, woo. that's like salvation, man. That's us. That's Christians. That's our whole faith. We get to die and go to heaven. We get to die and be with Christ. We are saved. We are saved. We have salvation. I feel like sometimes that word isn't talked about enough. Salvation, like this... There's a deep meaning to that salvation thing because it means you're actually saved from something, which ties right into the suffering of Christ because his suffering and his real death on a cross, he really died as a human. He, he conquered death. And, you know, let's just see what the scriptures say about it because it, it clearly tells us what happened. Verse 15, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be made like us. He had to be incarnated through Mary and become a human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is a big word. We should talk about it. My study Bible notes say that Christ's work of propitiation is related to his high priestly ministry by his partaking of a human nature. Christ demonstrated his mercy to mankind and his faithfulness to God by satisfying God's requirement for sin and thus obtaining for his people full forgiveness. Propitiation, crucial to the significance of Christ's sacrifice, this word carries the idea of appeasement or satisfaction. In this case, Christ's violent death satisfied the offended holiness and wrath of God against those for whom Christ died. So our sin is real, and it's real before a holy God, and there had to be a real propitiation made for our sins. That's what I love about the gospel. If you preach it the way the word preaches it, you can't like, there can be no gospel without sin. It's kind of, it just, it's, it's insanity, really. A gospel with no sin, like, they'd probably be like, I don't know, like the prosperity gospel, you know, like, Jesus died on a cross so you could have a good life. This doesn't even make sense if you think about it. Like, he had to suffer and die on a cross for me to have material possessions or just something crazy like that's just so anti-biblical it was so specific it was so profound it had a reason it had a purpose it was to save us from a real destruction that's coming you know 
And now we are here at the last verse of Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 18, for, he, uh, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This was one of the hard things, you know, trying to comprehend this week is just how Christ really was tempted, you know, because like, he's God. It just sounds weird, like, man, like, if he was tempted, like, could he have possibly, like, actually fell? But no, he, he, he couldn't have because he's God and he's perfect. And I think this is probably our greatest, like, this is our greatest application and our greatest takeaway from today's sermon, from what we've seen in the Scriptures, is that we can have confidence to look to Christ knowing that because He really suffered and He was tempted, I mean, He was tempted by the devil in the garden. He was tempted. He's able to help us who are being tempted. That's, we should take that home this week, you know. We, we, can look to Christ and He can help us when we're suffering. He can help us when we're being tempted. Maybe we're being tempted by sins. Um, maybe we're being tempted, you know, to be angry with someone or the list goes on of all the ways we could, you know, break God's commands. But in those hard moments, we should look to Christ and really believe that He finished it and really believe that He fulfilled it and really believe that, you know, it's not just like, oh, because there's, it, for me, in my, you know, I thought like, oh, you know, like He was God, like, did he really, was it really that hard for him, you know? Like, he was God. Like, did he have, like, a little extra oomph to, like, get through the cross? Or, because, like, it's hard for me, you know, when I'm suffering or when I'm being tempted. Like, was, you know, you hear about the suffering of Christ, but, I mean, he was God, like. But that's, that's, that's just, that's wrong, and it's not true. The suffering of Christ was 100% just as difficult as any of our sufferings. And we would say it's, it was even further, I mean, None of us have been persecuted to the point of death. Even death on a cross is what the Scriptures say. We have a great high priest who has gone before us in every way. Let's end our service with the notes of a commentary because they expound, and it's just it's awesome. Matthew Henry's notes on this verse says, He knows how to deal with tempted, sorrowful souls because, because He has been himself sick of the same disease, not of sin, because we know Christ never sinned. He is, wasn't even born into sin. He was born by the Spirit. Because he has been himself sick of the same disease, not of sin, but of temptation and trouble of soul. His soul was troubled in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. The remembrance of his own sorrows and temptations makes him mindful of the trials of his people and ready to help them. The best of Christians, this, is, I, this, is, this hit good this week, the best of Christians are subject to temptations. It doesn't matter how sanctified we ever become. We need to be cautious because while in this world, let us never count upon an absolute freedom from temptations in this world. I really liked that. No matter how sanctified we get, no matter how close to Christ we get, we should be careful and beware and guard ourselves and know that temptation is a real thing and we should just constantly fight against it and put up every caution flag we can. Let's never, let's never let our guard down. Yeah, that'd be a good way to put it. Temptations bring our souls into such distress and danger 
that they need support and succor. I looked up the word succor because I didn't know what it meant, but it's someone comes and helps you. That's what succor means. And Christ succors for us because he comes and helps us. Christ is ready and willing to succor those. Is that even how you pronounce it? Okay. Secure, secure. <laughs> Christ is ready and willing to secure those who under their temptations applied to him. And he became man and was tempted that he might be every way qualified to secure his people. <laughs> Amen to that. I mean, <laughs> he's done it all. He's completely finished the work. He's completely finished his book. I mean, this is finished. It's all finished. We can look to Christ for salvation, having confidence in his person and his work and in his suffering. And I want to pray for us. And I'm going to pray that God would help us just to understand his suffering because what a, what a great thing to think about and it really should give us confidence in our Christian faith. Nobody has what we have. Only the Christian has Christ and has a great high priest. It's incredible. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much that you loved us so much and you loved us enough to send your only son not only to die on a cross but to suffer throughout his life for us and God we ask that you would help us in our own mind and our own spirit today to to meditate on your word to think about what we read in chapter 2 of Hebrews today to to better comprehend the suffering of Christ Lord may it bring us strength this week because life is hard and there are real struggles and there are real temptations and there's sickness and disease and there's some people go through such hard situations that it's hard to even comprehend how you could even still be sovereign over those situations. But God, help us to hold fast to the Word of God. Help us never to doubt you and your great sovereignty and your great rule and your great reign from heaven above, Lord. We want to greater cherish the Christian faith. We want to greater cherish Christ and his work on the cross. We want to look to you, Lord Jesus, for all of our needs and have confidence in you. And God, we ask all these things in your most holy and your most precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.